Um, church, would you, uh, would you pray with me? <clears throat> um, Father, this morning, it's one of those uh, heart messages. And I, I pray that, um, Father, you would just send your Holy Spirit to be working really powerfully in our hearts. Not because my words are convincing, but because Jesus himself is worthy. And this message and the series is all about the beauty of Jesus. So help us to see, help us to hear, not just my voice, but really your voice, because um, your sheep know the sound of your voice. And I pray that you will be calling our hearts, the deepest part of our hearts, and we would respond to the voice of the shepherd, for it's his glory. You are worthy, Jesus. Be glorified, I pray, in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to start off with a little bit of a, a, a love story. Um, Bruce, if you wouldn't mind just showing that picture. Uh, that is the picture of, it was recent. Um, it's, it's not the best picture of um, us, I, you know. <laughs> But it was a recent one. <clears throat> that, that's, that's my wife, by the way. Uh, her name is Raina. Um, I, I met Raina in home group. And um, about six months after meeting her, I, I, I just fell in love. Oh, she's right there, too. <laughs> now, um, it was during that time in home group... <clears throat> that my, my leader, we, we had some one-on-one time, um, he, he asked me, you know, I was like, like what, like, like three years out of, out of college going to home group, and he was like a little bit older than me, so I was like, okay, this is how people are like in the real world. Anyways, um, he asked me if I liked anyone, and I was like, that sounds so high school, <laughs> right? Um, and I told him that I was, I was interested in, in Reina, and then he like, and then he like nods, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. Good choice, good choice." You know, <laughs> you know. Um, and then, and then he proceeds to give me this advice. He says, "Andrew, I, I want you to, I want you to do this. I want you to hold out as long as you can and not ask her out." Um, he really wanted me to focus on friendship and developing the foundation first. Uh, back in the day, he was really into this book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, and, and so here he was asking me to join him in kissing dating goodbye. And, I, you know, at first I wasn't going for it. I was like, I mean, you, you kiss dating goodbye. I would prefer to kiss Raina hello. <laughs> but... I reasoned, if I'm going to pursue her in the context of this home group, I should submit to my leader's rules. So um, I waited as long as I could, just build friendship, friendship, waited as long as I could. And then, um, so then two days later, no, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) Seven months later, I asked her to go steady with me. And uh, 
I got to tell you how hard those seven months were. They were very, very hard. And the problem was is that other guys in our church liked Raina, and they were actively pursuing her. And I'm like, what's up with that? They're not kissing, dating, goodbye. And so they would take Raina on motorcycle rides and one-on-one dinners, and all the whole time Raina's like, wow, all these people want to be my friend. And no, they didn't, you know, and so it was hard. It was really hard, and, but in this period of waiting, you know, also, honestly, it was very hard, but it was also very satisfying. Satisfying in the sense that I, I knew what it was in my life that I wanted. <laughs> you know, I had purpose every morning when I woke up. I, there was clarity in my heart of, of I was in love. Today, I want to talk to you guys about what it looks like to live your life with what some call purity of heart. It was was Kierkegaard who said that purity of heart is to will one thing. Uh, It's like every morning you know what it is that you want. It's a sort of clarity that you have when you're falling in love. Today, I wanted to talk to you about living a life where you are simply falling in love with Jesus. Where there is some one person who is so valuable and so desirable and so worthy that he is your joy. Now, we've been going like chapter by chapter through a highlighted tour uh, through the Gospel of Mark. And today, we're going into chapter 3 where Jesus chooses 12 men to be his disciples. Here's the thing. Um, Today's a little bit different. We're we're not going to go through the entire passage. We're not going to study line by line or idea by idea. Today, I'm thinking we'll accomplish more if we do less. We're just going to focus on one point. Jesus calls 12 men to be his disciples. What does it mean? Like, what does it really mean to be his disciple? And again, today I could give you a list of 12 things that it means, but I think we do much more if I just choose one. And so today I'd like to talk about what it means to have the heart of a disciple. The big idea is that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you find him valuable, worthy, and desirable above everything else in life. It is an inward abiding and cherishing. It's where your heart goes, nothing in this world can hold a candle to Jesus. Now, what I'd like to do is to show you that this is literally what is happening when Jesus calls the 12. So we're touching through Mark chapter 3. But then what I'd like to do is walk you through other scriptures that make this point even more clear, the heart of the disciple. And then I'd like to highlight two disciples who really demonstrate this kind of heart. And right about, and then I'll, I'll kind of close. Now, here's a bit of the context. Back in the day, in the ancient Near East, they had a very different idea of what it means to learn. They had a very different idea of what it means to be a student. In Western culture, 
It means you sit in a classroom, you absorb a, a lecture. In our context, learning is leveraged through information. But back in the day in Eastern culture, learning was not just leveraged through information. It was leveraged through relationship. It's following the teacher around and watching what he does and you are living with him and you're imitating him and not just what he says, but how he responds to everyday life and what he does. It's getting close to him. It's not just leveraged through information, but through relationship. Now, the priority of this relationship with Jesus is seen in chapter 1, and it seems to be demonstrated in that by the pursuit of him, you're leaving all these other things behind. Uh, we were saying yesterday in a prayer meeting that the greatest expression of love is sacrifice. And right away, what you see in chapter 1 is by prioritizing following Jesus, you are leaving things behind. Peter and Andrew are leaving their nets behind. They're leaving their occupation. For many of us, our occupation is our core identity. For James and John, what did they leave behind? They left their father in the boat. And for them... Dad was a primary core relationship. It's their core identity. And so for three years of time, they decided to pursue Jesus, and as a result, they became homeless. They didn't know where their next meal was going to be or where their next paycheck was going to come from. They didn't know where they were going to be or where they were going to be sleeping or who they were going to meet or whose house they were going to stay. They had to leave all of their comforts behind to follow one man. <clears throat> and, and so we read from Mark chapter 3, 13 to 19. Here we go. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they, now look at these next words, so that they might be with him. Church, let me hear you say, might be with him. So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bo Boanerges, Boanerges, that is sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now these are 12 ordinary men. None of them was a scholar. None of them had a track record as a speaker or a leader. But notice the job description. They're sent out to preach, yes. They have authority over demons, yes. These are men who are chosen and being, they're being groomed for leadership. But I want to bring your attention to their first and primary calling that the text says that Jesus appointed 12 so that they might be with him. Be with him. What is your primary calling as a disciple? Is it to preach? 
Is it to cast out demons? Let me go even further. Is it to obey? Is it to be holy? Yes, of course. But fundamentally, essentially, your calling as a disciple is to be with Jesus. Let me read more into this. To to be with Jesus. What does that mean in your heart? Your primary responsibility in life is simply to treasure him. To find him desirable. To value him above everything else. Later on, Jesus will say, If you love me, you will obey my commands. Which I think means it's possible to actually obey and not love. And maybe that's not true obedience. But if there really is the presence of true love, it will flow into obedience. It will flow into holiness. Loving Jesus and finding him desirable, being with him, is essential. It is essential. When Jesus restored Peter, if you remember that really moving, touching scene, the word of Jesus to Peter was not, hey, Peter, will you obey me from now on? His word were, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And then he said it again, do you really love me? And then he said it again, do you love me? In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus goes on to describe the requirement and the heart and the essential call of discipleship. I, I, I do love this verse because it's like, what? It's, it's really challenging, but here, here, here's Jesus going on to clarify what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when people first read this, they go, you know, the, the first take is like, well, wait a minute. You know, like, hate my mom, my dad, my wife, and my children. I mean, who's saying this? And it's like, well, this is Jesus. And where do you, this is from the Bible. Yeah, this is from the Bible. I just want to clarify that this is not hate actively, but it's hate comparatively. Jesus is saying that to really truly be his disciple that your love and allegiance to Jesus and your devotion to Jesus is so high that every other primary relationship is going to feel like hate in comparison. When my kids were young, okay, this is just something I can totally relate to. I'm sure a lot of people here can too. It was just so clear to all of us, like, who was number one in the, the lives of my kids. Like, like, for example, like, I would go up to my children, I would go up to my son, and I would say, Ryan, do you love daddy? And he would look at me and said, I love daddy and mommy, especially mommy. And I'm like, who brought mommy into this? I mean, like, I, 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 that was unnecessary, completely unnecessary. Like, why did I have to bring that up? 
And one time, one time, my, my son was talking to Raina before bedtime, and it was a little bit of like, you know, like a one-on-one kind of heart confession, and he was like, he was like, Mommy, I have a confession to make. I tell Daddy that I love him. And then he burst into tears, but I love you so much more. <laughs> you know, just I love you so much more. And, and Reyna was like, no, no, it's sweetie, sweetie, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. No one blames you. <laughs> it's so okay. It's so all right. No one blames you, son. Now look, I'm number two. And you're like, that's pretty good, right? No, it feels like hate in comparison. <laughs> now, um, I, I know that when you read a scripture like this, and Jesus says the very heart of what it means to follow me is you got your love and your allegiance to me is so high, everything else is like hate in comparison. I, I know that a lot of us kind of feel guilty. Like, you know, if I'm honest, I really don't feel that way. If I'm honest, I really value other things like way more. It's like, it's like, I tell Jesus I love him, but I just love other things way more. You know, that's, that's kind of like how we feel. And I, I, we're going to get into to that, and I, I have a proposal to make if that's you. But uh, first thing I want to point out is that the picture of Jesus presenting the gospel is one objectively, objectively, it paints a picture of Jesus as worthy. It paints a picture of Jesus where it's like, if you go after one thing in life, make sure it's a worthy, worthy pursuit. And the scriptures say there's, there's nothing more worthy, more worthy than this. Make your whole life in pursuit of him. You won't regret it. The reward is staggering. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, and he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Now I want you to imagine you're walking in a field, you stumble upon a treasure, it's more valuable than anything else you have ever seen in this life. So you run home and you begin to sell all your stuff over Craigslist and eBay and you know, all your possessions, your, your house, your car, everything you have just so you can buy that field and people are looking at you like you're crazy. Your friends and your family are like, are you okay? And you're like, I've never been better. Because deep inside you know that at the end you haven't given away anything at all. Because what you're gaining is so way more valuable. And so notice that, notice that, that in his joy he went and sold all he had. In his joy. You got this crazy joy. You're selling everything because you found that one thing worth losing everything for. That is the presentation of Jesus in the gospel. He is the one thing. He is that one worth losing everything for. This is the picture of Jesus in the gospel. He is something, he is someone worth losing everything for. 
Now, there's a few people in the Bible who I think really embodied the heart of a disciple. Really embodied that heart. Now, um, so I would say that of, of the disciples of Jesus, if you could be like one in heart, I'd say this. Be like John. Be like the disciple John. Jesus chose 12 men. Their primary calling is to be with him. At least one really, really took it to heart. And so uh, if you look at the Last Supper in the Gospel of John, it's really interesting to know, like, where was he during that last meal with Jesus? And what you see is that he was right next to Jesus. But this is interesting, not just right next. The King James Version says that he was leaning on Jesus' bosom. Now, I just want you to imagine that uh, during, um, you know, like, maybe it's like, uh, maybe it's like uh, the last time I'm going to see Will, okay? And uh, we're here in large group, and we're, we're like in the middle of worship, and, and here I am leaning on Will's bosom, just like, like this, right? This is, mo- this is really natural. This is not odd. People are not like, what is Andrew? I mean, because, you know, we, we do that a lot, right? And you'd be like, who does this? Like, who leans on another's bosom? Who knew that Will had a bosom, right? <laughs> like, what, what is going on here? But, but apparently... I think John cultivated this best friendship with Jesus. Where it was just very, they were so intimate, they just leaning into him. Like that's where John belonged, right there at the side of Jesus. I would encourage you, if there's one place or a kind of relationship that you're developing with Jesus, develop a relationship like John had with Jesus. Because apparently in this age, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there are many people who are invited to that place, and that could be you. You can say, this is what I say. I say, Lord, I know you chose 12. I know John had that place, but I want to be like John. I want to be right there. There's no better place to be in the universe. Now, here's an interesting thing. When you have that kind of relationship with Jesus, I don't take this the wrong way, but it kind of seems like you can get stuff out of Jesus that no one else could get. Now, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus was at this dinner, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples start to look at each other. They're like, what, what, who, who, what? And so look, look, Peter motions to John and says, hey, John, Ask Jesus which one he means. Which kind of makes you wonder, why didn't Peter ask Jesus which one he means? And Peter would probably say, well, if I did ask Jesus, he'd probably give me another parable. But if John asks him, I bet you $5 that Jesus will tell John. So he motions over to John and John says, okay, he says, Jesus, who is it? And Jesus says, the person to to whom I dip this bread and give it to. Jesus takes a piece of bread, he dips it in the dip, and he gives it to Judas. And then John, you might imagine, says, hey, Peter, it's it's Judas. 
If you're going to be like anyone, be like John. Know the best place in the house and the best place is the universe by his side. Say, Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you like John had. If you're going to be a boy, be like John. If you're going to be a girl, oh, I don't know, maybe Mary even had it better. Be like Mary. Wow, Mary was incredible. Mary was incredible. Mary had an incredible heart. One day Jesus came to a village in Bethany, and he decided to stay at the home of Mary and Martha. Mary had a crazy desire and affection for Jesus, and she knew that the best seat in the house was right at the feet of Jesus. And so, I mean, on that day, she had a lot of responsibilities, you know, and Martha knew the responsibilities, but Mary was like, you know, I know where I want to be. In fact, wild horses cannot pull me away. I'm going to be right at his feet, looking up at him, holding on to every word. I know the value of this man. I know the respect and the love he deserves. I'm going to give it to him. It was that same heart that took like her life savings, pure nard, broke it at the feet of Jesus right before he was crucified, poured it all out, like $40,000 worth of money, poured it all out and wiped his feet with her hair and her tears. She knew the worth of Jesus. And right now she's sitting at his feet, giving him the attention he deserves. Martha tries to get Jesus to get Mary to do stuff, but Jesus defends Mary, and Jesus commends Mary, and Jesus says Mary has chosen the better portion. It won't be taken away from her. Church, if you're going to be like one female in the New Testament, be like Mary. Be like Mary. Here's the thing. What if you're like, yeah, but I'm not like Mary. The truth is, I just want other things. I think other things are more valuable. When I have free time, I I don't, like, stare at Jesus in his word or spend time with him. I, I run to other things. Maybe I can um, encourage you with my own story. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I had a uh, girlfriend. And um, <clears throat> one day I went to go visit my mentor, and he challenged me, and he said, would you be willing to give up your girlfriend if Jesus asked you to? And um, I, I said, you know, well, why would he ask me to? And he said, well, Jesus wants to be your number one passion in life. And I was like, I don't think I love Jesus that much. So I went home, and I was really sad. Because I was thinking, like, wow, it must be hard to be a Christian. It must be kind of rough. You know, you have to start giving up stuff like your girlfriend, maybe. That was the first time I realized that my love for Jesus was not what it should be. Like, I know I'm supposed to love Jesus, but the truth is, I just want other things more. And then when I went off to college, the number, thing, the number one thing I wanted more than anything was to be a doctor would be a good response, but that's not true. What I wanted was a girlfriend. See, I did. And uh, 
And so in college, that's what I really, really wanted. Now, I know it's so hard to believe that someone as wonderful and caring, as handsome as myself, couldn't find a girlfriend. But I couldn't in, in college. But then after college, God gave me what I really wanted, and I found an awesome girlfriend who became my wife. But my heart was still wanting other things. I think the thing I wanted, the big thing I wanted after that is when I became a a pastor, I wanted to be a successful pastor. I wanted people to applaud me. I wanted numbers. I wanted wanted success. It was right about at age 30, something happened to me. I went to a conference. Jack Deere was preaching. It was really the message that I just gave you. But something happened to me. It was my born-again-again experience. It's very hard to describe what happened. I I know it was the work of God because the woman next to me totally fell asleep and was snoring. But I felt like my heart was on fire. And uh, I had clarity in life. Maybe it was the the first time I had such distinctive, beautiful clarity that I went home and my place of meeting God was in the shower, and so I took a four-hour shower. This was before the drought. It's okay. But in that shower, I was crying out to God, and I was saying, God, I want to love you with all my life, with all my life. I don't trust myself. I'm always chasing after other things, lesser things. Help me, help me, help me. Help me to love you with everything I have. I can't do it by my strength. You're gonna have to do something, please, please. Four hours, I cried out. And that prayer has become my life's prayer. It, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Like, I have a prayer journal, and where, whenever I'm deep in prayer, I, I open it up, and uh, it's right here. Like, my life prayer, Father God, help me to love Jesus with the same love that you have for him. That's from John 17, 26. It's a prayer that Jack Deere taught me during this conference. Right below it, it's like, Father, make me not in the line of Joshua, who was merely a great leader, but make me in the line of Moses, who was not just a great leader, but who knew you, who spoke to you face to face and beheld your glory. This has become the prayer of my life. I do want you to realize that in me giving you this message, I'm giving you everything that's in my heart. This is the principle behind this prayer. It takes God for you to love God. It takes God for you to love God. If you're here today and you're like, honestly, I just don't love Jesus that much, then my best advice to you is, then ask him to give you that that love. It's not something you have to grind out or manufacture by yourself. You can ask him for it. Jack Deere at this conference taught this prayer, again, from John 17, 26. Father, grant me power from the Holy Spirit to love the Son of God like you love him. A.W. Tozer puts it like this in a beautiful prayer. The prayer was this, God, I want to want you. Maybe a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if I really want God. Then I would ask you, do you want to want to? 
And if you want to want to, then you are in a very promising place. You know why? Because it takes God for someone to, with clarity, see the beauty of God and say, I want that. I want that with everything inside me. I will sell everything just to get that. Now, what gives a person that clarity? Where they know what they want in life? Well, it's God. God has to do it. But you have a role too. You can ask for it. You say, I want to see you, Lord, with that kind of clarity, that kind of beauty, that kind of purpose that would make me inside to start selling things so I can have more of you. If you're not there now, there's hope for you. You can pray for that kind of passion. But you know why? Because it takes God to love God. So my, my question in closing, when you look inside your heart, what's inside? What is it that you want more than anything? And then I would ask you, do you want to want him? And if you do, you can just pray with me. And you can say, Lord, I want to want you. You can say, Father, grant me power from the Holy Spirit to love the Son of God like you love him.